Your congregation, our scripture reading comes to us from 1 Corinthians and chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll read from verse 17. First Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I in part believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And I rest, and the rest I will set in order when I come. This far the reading of God's word. And our focus for this morning then is on the verses 27 through 29, where Paul exhorts us to examine ourselves before partaking of the Lord's Supper. And since we anticipate holding the Lord's Supper next week, and this is a preparatory sermon for that. And in verse 28, it says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so our theme this morning is that the call to examine and to partake. And so, in verse 28, why 
Does Paul here give this command to examine and to eat? Why does he say this? Well, verse 28 comes between verse 27 and 29, which itself is logical, but the topic of what he speaks of there in verse 27, if we read that again, it says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And verse 29 says, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And he says, for this reason, in verse 30, for this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. And so, Paul is saying God's judgment had come upon the church in Corinth, upon those who were partaking in an unworthy manner. The, the judgment doesn't refer to eternal condemnation here, but it's God's discipline, as he explains later. There were people becoming sick, weak, and, and some were dying because of this. And so, right between these two warnings, between verse 27 and 28, Paul then commands us to examine ourselves before partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so, the question we need to ask is, what then does it mean to come in an unworthy manner? Because that's what Paul here is pointing out, and that's why the Lord is disciplining the church. So, what does that mean? Well, let's first think about what the Lord's Supper means. When we come to the Lord's Supper, as verse 26 says, it says, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You come to declare what you are receiving of the Lord, receiving what the Lord has come to do on the cross. You come to proclaim that you seek your life outside of yourself and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come to the Lord's table, we, we receive the signs of, of, of the bread and, and wine, and thereby we are reminded of the certainty that Christ was offered on the cross for our sins. That broken bread, that poured out wine, they, they symbolize that sacrifice that Christ made with His own body on the cross, His broken body, His poured out blood. And our Heidelberg Catechism also in question 81, it says, the Lord's Supper testifies that we have a full pardon of all our sin by the only sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and that we, by the Holy Spirit, are engrafted into Christ. And so the Lord's Supper was given then to, to strengthen the faith of, of His people, of believers. This is where the Lord Jesus comes to feed and to nourish your soul with His Holy Spirit. This is where we are to be united more and more uh, to the body of Christ to, by the Holy Spirit. And so Christ, He instituted this Lord's Supper for the church. It's a holy sacrament. It, it's set apart for God's people. And it's called the Lord's table, just as it's called the Lord's day. And so it's It's holy. And so as we, we think about that, there, there's a value to that. There's a worth to the, the associated with the Lord's Supper. And so when it says that you, you're not to come in an unworthy manner, it does not refer 
to our worthiness itself. It doesn't refer to the worthiness of the person who is coming to the table. Because we all know, even as we confessed in the early parts of this worship service, when we sang, when we read God's law, we, we all have to confess that we're not worthy. That there's no one on this world who will ever be worthy in ourselves. But the Lord's Supper is for unworthy people who find their, who, whose trust is in Christ alone. But to partake in an unworthy manner then means to partake partake in a way that's unbecoming of what the Lord's Supper is, that's in a way that's inappropriate for what the Lord's Supper means. It's partaking without a due consideration and respect and understanding for the worth of the Lord's Supper. There's a value not in the bread and wine itself, as as some might mistakenly understand, but because of what they symbolize. And if we take it in an unworthy manner, then we're not understanding, we're not respecting, we're not coming in an appropriate manner, and and instead you're making a mockery of it. You're making light of it. A, A slight example, if you think of a flag of a nation, the flag in itself really means nothing, but the flag represents a nation. And so to disrespect the flag is to disrespect the nation. It's treating it in an unworthy manner. And so when you treat the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, you're profaning the body and blood of Christ, Paul says. Instead of relying on His death, and on His resurrection that is symbolized in the elements. You're putting Him to an open shame. Instead of coming with true repentance and faith and relying on Christ and His sacrifice and His atonement for our sins, if we come in an unworthy manner, we are disrespecting Christ and His sacrifice. And this is what Paul says the result is you eat and drink judgment to yourselves. You, it means you incriminate yourselves. You, you declare, you're declaring yourself guilty before God who searches your heart, and you leave yourself open to His discipline. Now, how were the Corinthians doing this? Well, in verse 18, we, Paul says that he says, when you come together as a church, so there was, the church was gathering, and he says there were divisions. They often would meet in, in homes, and they would also come to share a regular meal, but they would also have the Lord's Supper. But here, he's pointing out that there were cultural and social and economic differences, divisions. And so it happened that some would come early, and they would start eating early, and they would be drunken, and then when the workers, the the slaves or the field workers would come in later, there'd be no food left, and and they'd be left hungry. And so there was discrimination between the people. And so it comes down, it's revealed that their attitude toward one another and toward the Lord's Supper was not appropriate. You see, the Corinthians did not have the proper love and respect for the poor and for the needy or for the lower class. 
They're, they were not showing humility and, and respect to esteem others better than themselves. But there was pride and there was greed. There were sins that were unrepented of, as Paul addresses in different places. And so they did not properly consider the meaning of the, sacrifice, of the sacrament, and so they were partaking in an unworthy manner. And so if we translate this into our language, we partake unworthily if we would come to the Lord's table holding an unforgiving spirit, if we have bitterness in our hearts towards one another, if we have hidden sins that we are keeping in our lives and in our hearts, sins that we do not want to put away, we're not repenting of them. If we're living in sin such as fornication or drunkenness or habitual lying, and we have not repented of them, or even if we are not living an openly sinful life, but do not examine ourselves and do not prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, then we still come in a careless manner, in a superficial manner, and we become negligent. And then we are not discerning the Lord's body, Paul says, not properly recognizing not properly understanding the meaning and the purpose of the sacrament. That the table is a place of, of unity in the body of Christ, a place of mutual love before the Lord and in the Spirit of the Lord. And we come together before the Lord who knows our hearts and what lives within. He's the, the, the searcher. He's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And He knows how we come up to him. And John 1 verse 4, or John 1 4 says, if we don't, don't love each other who we can see, how can we love God who we do not see? And as we come to the table uh, next week, the Lord willing, we are to receive of Christ what he has done for our soul. And we, we are reminded how He suffered and how he, he died and how His body was broken and how His blood was shed on the cross for the remission of our sins. How then can we come if we do not repent of sins? How can we hold dear in our hearts that which cost the Lord Jesus His life on the cross? How can we remain bitter or unforgiving toward others? If Christ, if we believe and confess that Christ has forgiven us. And so to come with sin or with, with, an, with an unrepentant heart, it's, it contradicts the very meaning of the sacrament. And so this is what, these are, this is verses 27 and 29, this is what surrounds Paul's exhortation here. This is the warning. And right in the middle of that, in verse 28, Paul says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat. Why is Paul saying this? Well, he's not saying this to keep you away from the table. He's not saying this to keep believers away from the table. But he's saying that so that all believers would come in a right manner 
in the right way, in the right attitude to the table. The Lord has instituted this for His children to feed your soul and to nourish your soul and to strengthen your faith. He's saying this to, so that unbelievers are certain that they cannot come. Unbelievers cannot come because they have no interest in Christ. But believers must examine, we must examine ourselves before we eat so that we can benefit properly from it. And so Paul is speaking specifically here to believers. And this word examine that Paul uses here is a personal command. Let a man examine himself. So everyone has this responsibility laid upon them. And then he says, so let him eat and drink of this cup. And so that also is a command to come, to eat, and to drink. So as a believer, we don't have the option just to say, well, I don't feel like coming this week, or, or I don't want to come. No, this, this is a command to come as well, to first examine and then to come. So we are not to neglect the means that Christ has so instituted for your benefit and welfare. And this word that Paul uses for examine also assumes that he's talking to believers. And so thereby he's calling us to, to inspect our hearts, to, to, to prove the fact, in a sense. In 2 Corinthians 13, he uses a different word, which in the, in the English uses the same word, examine. And there he says, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. And so that word he uses there is a different Greek word that has the idea to examine if you are actually a believer. And that we must do first. But here he's talking to believers, to assuming they are believers. Now, examine your heart as believers with the intention that you can partake worthily. So search. Search your heart this week and see, is there anything out of order? Is there anything that would hinder you from coming rightly to the Lord and to His table? Is there something out of place? Is there something hindering you from full communion with Christ and full fellowship with those who you come to the table with? And so Paul here, he's actually encouraging us. He's encouraging us to examine ourselves. Because you know what it is, don't you? In your own homes, if there's something between you and your wife or you and your children, there, there's, if, there, if there's sin, if there's bitterness or if there's anger, or if there's unforgiving spirit, then it, it obstructs your ability to, to talk together. It obstructs your ability to pray to God or to sing praises to God. It really hinders you. And you need to remove that. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's encouraging us with the command to, to examine ourselves and to see what needs to be set right. And why does he command this? Well, isn't it because we are so prone to sin, so prone to pride, so prone to our self-esteem and selfish ambition, so prone to think yourself a little bit better than, than that person, so quick to, to, to put other people down, to see their mistakes, and to be greedy, as these Corinthians were. And so what does this mean? Well, this means that every one of us is very capable of coming to the Lord's table 
in an unworthy manner. And we must realize that, that we are very capable of partaking in an unworthy manner. But also notice here, he doesn't say anything about examining the other person. It doesn't say examine each other. It doesn't say anything about basing our decision about going to the Lord's table on other people. Because sadly, I've heard people say that they weren't going to go to the Lord's table because they knew someone else would be there. Their decision was based on someone else they thought should not be there. And so they try examining other people and other motives. And that attitude itself is reason for you then not to come, but not the other person. Other people should never hinder you from coming, but only your own attitude needs to be um, repented of. And this comes back to the main point, that it's not the person who is worthy in themselves, because we do not come because we are worthy. But he says we must partake in a worthy manner. The Lord's Supper is made for unworthy sinners, saved by grace, and depend on Christ alone. That is what we come to confess, that our life is hid in Christ. And our attitude before God is crucial for each one of us. Our attitude toward God and our neighbor. And that means we must examine ourselves, not only this week, but every day of our life. What is our attitude toward, our, toward others? What is our attitude toward God? See, and as a, as a note here, this is also the reason why the Lord's Supper is for those who are old enough to have been able to make a credible profession of faith and who are able to examine themselves before the Lord, who know what that, what that requires or what that means. And that's why children don't partake of the Lord's Supper. But, but children... Do you also already see your need for the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you already see the burden of sin in your heart and the need for a Savior? And do you desire that the Lord would also strengthen your faith in Him? Do you already seek Him daily to find His grace and strength for your soul? Because you need to do that even at a young age. But then, dear believer, when we hear this all, it might make us fearful and wonder, really, who is able to come to the Lord's table in the right manner? But there again, we go looking at ourselves again and not at Christ. Because the invitation also in the form that we read later says, it's not intended to discourage the broken and the contrite hearts of believers, as if no one might come to the Lord's table except the sinless. And so we have to realize here that Paul is not requiring a sinless perfection. He's not requiring a moral perfection here. We don't come ever to the Lord's table to declare ourselves righteous or, or perfect. The worthiness is not found in ourselves but we come because of the burden of our own weakness, the weakness of our flesh, the weakness of our faith, 
the weakness of our love, seeking our life in Christ to be strengthened, to be helped. And so we partake in a worthy manner when we acknowledge that the only worthiness is found in Christ. Paul, Paul here told the Corinthians to examine themselves. Paul had been informed of many of the sins that, he, that were found in the Corinthian church. There was fornication, there was discrimination against the poor, there was overindulging in food and wine, they became drunk, they didn't have respect for the, the, the lower class, and then they tried to have the Lord's Supper with that kind of setting and that kind of attitude. And Paul was right in commanding them to examine themselves. All sin must be put away. All unbelievers must stay back. But the examination is also meant to keep away believers who are harboring sin and who will not let them go. If you cannot repent of your sin before God, he says there, is, there will be discipline, judgment. But we can easily think that this was for the Corinthians. They, they sounded like a pretty bad church. Or it might make us think of the Pharisees. Pharisees who didn't want to have the sick people healed on the Sabbath. Or the Pharisees who were fighting to get the best seat at the table. They, they thought each other better than themselves. Or themselves better than others. Or the Pharisees who prayed in the temple and even thanked God and said, I thank thee that I'm not as that wicked man. And so the Pharisees were righteous in themselves. But Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These, many of these Corinthians were believers that Paul was speaking to. This was the church. It was for these sinners that Christ died on the cross, whose sins He came to wash. And so Paul is saying, put away your sins, put away your divisions, put away your bad attitude. And the same is required of us. And then if we think of who does the Lord delight to dwell with, Isaiah 57 says, I dwell in the high and in the lofty place with Him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. See that contrast? God who is so high and so holy and so lofty, but He delights to dwell with the humble and with the contrite. Psalm 51 as well, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. What is required? A reverence, a godly fear, a broken heart, a contrite spirit a heart that confesses with Psalm 65, as we'll later sing, a mighty stream of foul transgression prevails from day to day. But Thou, O God, in mercy, will purge it all away. A heart of repentance and faith and love for Christ, trusting His mercy, trusting His grace. Such a person, such a heart, the Lord will not despise, but the Lord will receive you at the Lord's table. It's those empty hands that come and reach out for Christ that He will fill. 
It's that hungering and thirsting soul that comes to seek the righteousness of Christ that he says will be satisfied. It's that longing, that aching heart for the strengthening grace and for the nourishing food of the Lord that he will come to fill. We see that even in the disciples, don't we? They weren't perfect. They didn't understand everything. But still they could confess, you are the Lord, or you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The disciples were ones who were acting just like the Corinthians in many ways. The disciples acted like the Pharisees in many ways. Because they also argued who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven among them. Who would be the best apostle? They asked Jesus if they could call down fire on the Samaritans because they didn't receive the Lord. They denied their master in the hour of trial. And yet, these are the ones that Jesus invited to the first Lord's Supper. And here sat a Thomas who was so weak in faith that later he could not believe that Christ had risen from the dead. Here sat a Peter who thought he was so, such a good Christian, and yet that night, the very same night, he betrayed his master, denying him three times. Here was a table full of men who would all forsake him. And there was none left with the Lord Jesus when he, when he was led to Gethsemane. But this all happened because the Lord Jesus had to walk that road to the cross alone. He went to the cross alone, and there no one could stand with him. No one could bear the sins of his people with him, because he was the Son of God. He was the Christ, as we considered last week. He was the anointed of God. He would take the Father's wrath against the sins of all his people. He would be the surety for his people. And Christ, the worthy one, would enter into God's presence on behalf of all His people. But here He was treated as the unworthy one. Here He was rejected of the people on this earth. He was crucified on the accursed cross. He was forsaken of His Father in heaven. And the wrath of God was poured out upon Him. But here by His own sacrifice He purged away all the sins of His people. And in the sacraments of the Lord's Supper, we see those symbols of the bread and wine pointing to this sacrifice, to the sacrifice of the worthy one, the lamb without spot and without blemish, the one who is accepted by the Father because he is perfectly righteous. And it is through this sacrifice alone that we are accepted into the presence of the Father. And that is why we must come in the most worthy manner, because it is Christ alone who is worthy. We come in a manner where we examine and confess our sin before God, where we acknowledge before Him, no, we are not worthy, and we do not deserve the least of His grace and mercy, but we come only because of Christ's perfect sacrifice and worthiness. And then your heart might sting like Peter's did for all your sin in the past. But if you think as Peter, as, of Peter as he sat around uh, those fires uh, when Jesus rose from the dead, as he sat around the fire on the seashore, 
And the Lord Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And what is the only thing he could say? Yes, Lord, I know, or you know that I love you. And if that is the place, the only place that you can come, as though your heart burns with guilt and anguish because of your sin, yet you can say, Lord, you know that I love you. And then here is the place where he desires to strengthen your faith. And then you come in a worthy manner because then you rest in Christ and not in yourself. And this week as we're commanded to examine ourselves, and we will find many shortcomings and sins. And we have to come to repent and confess that we're not worthy, but also to believe that for Christ's sake we are more than welcome. And so Paul says, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And so it is around this, the Lord's Supper table that we hope to have next week and that are surrounded by sinners, saved by grace. Nothing in ourselves, but one in Christ. How then can there be any room for any division? How then can there be any room for sin to be harbored in our hearts? As you look at your heart this week, ask yourselves, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? But do you fear that your, that your faith is so weak? Do you confess that your love is so small, so cold and still? Do you fear that you're so unworthy to come? Well, then this supper is for you. Then you come in a worthy manner. When we recognize that the worthiness is not in us, but in Christ who has given the supper, then we cast ourselves on Christ alone. And it is that way that Christ also through His sacrament feeds, nourishes, and strengthens your soul to show you that no, it's not you. It's nothing of you. But it's all of grace, all of Christ. And He freely gives. He freely strengthens. He freely provides. And so He freely welcomes those who come with a contrite heart and a broken spirit. Amen.